Hello, everybody. What up, what up, what up? My name is Tim Daniel. His name is Ben Brown. And welcome to this week's edition of Late Night Reds, brought to you by the Riverfront. And of course, as always, our good friends at SeatGeek. So, you know how this works, obviously. You go to your seat geek, you're like, man, maybe I'll go catch the Reds in this last home stand they have coming up. Get some mm-hmm. tickets. Never fear, the Riverfront's got you. Use code Riverfront for $20 off your first Seat Geek order. And we will go ahead and get you squared away for those Pirates games when you know the Reds are going to sweep the Pirates to end the season on the high note of GABP. Starting with tonight, starting with today, of course. When um hey Ben, there was a team in Cincinnati that put seven on the board and it wasn't the football team. And it was not the Bengals. No, it was not. It was good to see, man. It, it was really good to see uh, our offense come alive again and led by, you know, two guys that, uh, you know, people are questioning if they should be here, if they shouldn't be here. Uh, I mean, led by guys that have been constant leaders for this team kind of all year. So it's it was good to see India and uh, JVD back, especially on his 4-0. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, which we're going to talk about that throughout here. Um, about a half hour into the show, we're going to be joined by former Cincinnati Red, Drew Stubbs, coming back on the show um, for a Q&A. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of people in the chat right now, so hopefully we have some people hop in with some questions. But I did get some from our Patreon subscribers, which you can be one of those if you go to patreon.com. And for as little as $2.99 a month, you can be a member of the Lee Salverto Benia coverage of the late night reds of the of the, of the riverfront patreon so um pretty pretty awesome branch brown in the building what up branch yeah absolutely hey, what good. a great win what a great win branch what are we cooking tonight are you doing another fried pop tart or what was it you said you did uh was it a pop tart covered in butter that you fried like it sounded amazing whatever it was um, <laughs> and like four thousand calories but you know i'll hey, try it who's who's counting man who's counting yeah Absolutely. Calorie, calorie schmallery. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> before we do talk about the Cardinal series, we, what up, Sydney? Saw Sydney hey, all weekend. It was nice. Yes. It was really nice. Yes, um, Want to go ahead real quick before we do get into anything as far as on the field. Um, we got to say on behalf of uh, me and Ben, on behalf of Nate and Chad, on behalf of Joe, unfortunately, Greg had car trouble, so he couldn't make it up. Uh, thank you guys so much for what was like an unbelievably fun weekend with you all. I know, mm-hmm. you know, they do lose two out of three to the Cardinals, but getting to hang out with everybody, put names to faces of people who are like, whether they're in the chat or they're on the Patreon group, uh, coming up saying hi to us, coming to the show, man, it was Ben, it was so cool. And I know we had some technical problems, um, yesterday as far as the YouTube portion of it, but everything in house worked just fine. Uh, shout out Dwight Kelly for holding us down on the ones and twos, but man, just an awesome, awesome weekend to hang out with the Riverfront or the Riverfront Patreon family. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it, it it's really cool to be able to see, uh, like you said, and put faces to names, and, and you know, people were able to hang out. We were able to enjoy a um, the time at, at the stretch, man. The people at the stretch were awesome. They were great. Um, no, it, it, they were awesome. Uh, the crowd there was awesome. You know, it, it was just awesome to be in that area, in that room, 
uh, with people that enjoy the same things you enjoy. So it, it was a lot of fun and just can't thank uh, everybody that attended, everybody that listened, everybody that came Man, We can't thank you enough for, for uh, your support. Um, and, and thank you enough for just being there um, with us for this, uh, with, for this really cool experience. Yeah, man. It was awesome. Um, you know, getting there early, even we had people already waiting for us and us, uh, so we were, well, we were setting up, um, like I said, shout out to man, Dwight Kelly for keeping us together man, yesterday. Awesome. Did such a great job. Uh, we are very, very grateful for him. Um, and then, you know, we all hung out on the river, on the, on the, butter, on the Budweiser stacks last night, mm-hmm. uh, had a couple beers, you know, talked about the reds saw alejo lopez get ejected that was the funniest thing of all time I'm, I'm, i just you know seeing this like little man get super irritated and like when he mm-hmm. yells his body moves you know, oh, one yeah. of those guys like um you know in kazam when that kid's charging a shack he just does this and like he just does it. <laughs> yeah well, as keeping tabs at home no one else would have a kazam reference on their bingo card for late night reds no. never fear. absolutely not yeah, uh, absolutely not. But um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, Friday night, not so much fun of a game, um, but they obviously had a great time. And again, thank you guys so much. I know Scott just popped in, was there. He 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 said what's up. I know Branch hung out in the YouTube chat, uh, said hey to us all. So that was pretty cool, um, dude. Let's uh let's let's talk a little bit about the series. So um, again, mm-hmm. one of the preppets. I know you go back and watch. Um, but Friday, I know you were coaching high school football. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little odd there. Um, but we were like, Oh, injury happened on the bump. We should be fine. Weren't fine. Weren't fine at all. Uh, <laughs> it didn't home in that game, but other than that, that's much not much. About. You're right. Uh, not much going on. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, so, you know, we've got, let me look, pull up the box for you real quick. So this is like Nate and Chad get in town, and they're like, we came in town to see Joey. And, of course, Joey goes on the IL, mm-hmm. um, and everything kind of starts to splinter there. And it's like, oh, he might come back. He did not come back in that by that game. Um, no. Wilson Contreras hit a three-run bomb. That was not fun. Um, no. Andrew Abbott goes four innings, six runs, three strikeouts. Uh, from there, the bullpen wasn't too bad the rest of the day. Fernando Cruz yeah. gave up two. Uh, TJ Anton gave up one, um, but TJ Anton was allowed to give up one. He's been tremendous. Um, yeah. But we go once again back to 0 of 7 with urgent scoring position in that game. Oh. They lost by five. Oh, woof. Yeah. Woof. And then uh, yesterday, um, yeah, they lose 4 3. Not a bad freaking, game. They did. Wilson Contreras again, though, dude. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. He needs to go away. Yes. Awful. Yeah. yeah. It was very much not fun. But you see David Bell get ejected. Um, mm-hmm. I need to find a clip of Alejo Lopez just like screaming an ejection because it was it was so funny. I know I shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Like I know, but like, dude, like it was hot. It was so funny. Just seeing like his whole body move with him as he's like yelling. I dug it. But they the um, the calls were atrociously bad. Like, oh my god, they were so bad. Uh those high strikes. And so that yeah. was not very fun. Um then of course today, they took care of business. Uh, Hunter Green came back, which we're going to get into that here in a second. But, dude, what is it? You know, because <clears throat> this team is obviously on paper, and I, even with how bad they've played, 
you know, since they got back from the All-Star break, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at them, you're like, St. Louis, they're better than St. Louis. I know St. Louis is Goldschmidt, mm-hmm. and they have Arenado, but you're like, they probably at this point who the Cardinals are should not have lost two out of three. No. Mm-mm. But uh, there are some there are some circumstances there, though. I mean, we're getting late in the season, and we've and like you said, we we got hit with the COVID list. Um, you know, we get we get three guys that are back today that contributed mightily to the game uh, today. Uh, you you get Marte gets hit in the, hit in the face yesterday. Yeah, right before the game, him. like. Like we had some, there's some circumstances there. You know, we we have a a pitcher get called up from Double A. Like, I mean, we we just had. I mean, there's just been some circumstances there where this this Cardinal series, if we're at full strength, I feel a lot better than you know than having to play them without India, without Vada, without Hunter Green at the first, at the beginning. Um, you know, Marte gets hurt. Uh, you you're a pitcher. You pull a call of a pitcher from Double A who has to pitch. Uh, in a in a big series with a team that's in a playoff run, I mean that yeah. that normally doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, that was so that was just kind of like that dynamic there was not very fun. Uh, but this is kind of you know today was much needed. It was very relaxed. Uh, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Let's let's dive a little bit more into today. Let's start with Hunter Green today. Mm-hmm. Ooh, doggy. Was that nice yes, to indeed. see? Man. Um, I think the most impressive part about Hunter Green's start today was at three and two thirds innings pitch today, he had 86 pitches. Mm-hmm. He ended the game. He When he left the game, he only had 109. Which is nice. So Which two and two thirds nice. innings on 23 pitches. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the, what was it? The fourth, the, te- the top of the fifth, he got the first two guys out in three pitches. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Um, obviously, walks and strikeouts play a part in that. But, dude, he battled, and mm-hmm. um, he he looked. You know, it's the best he's looked since his return from the IL, yeah. um, obviously. And then you know, obviously, he was in the COVID list here. That's why he pitched this game. But you know, we we all kind of project him to kind of be this potential ace of the future. I I am mm-hmm. very guilty of that. I fully believe in him for that. Um, these are the games an ace wins for you, mm-hmm. right? Things mm-hmm. aren't going right. Everything's kind of falling apart. You need a game. You need a guy that you can count on to go out there and get you the big ones. Um, I, you know, that's exactly what you want from your ace to do. And he did just yeah. that. Absolutely. And and I, and I know we talked about this when he came off the injured list uh, and he had that horrific game straight off the injured list. And people were like, oh, Hunter Green's lost it, blah, blah, blah. Like, like, and we talked about this. It's going to take him some time to get back into some kind yeah. of rhythm. This is the major leagues. You are going against major league batters. If you are not feeling at top of your game, like like it, those guys are going to get hits. They are major league players. So to see him come out today and battle 109 pitches off the COVID list, to see him battle, uh, to see him get go six strong innings, Nine strikeouts, four walks. I mean, I, I think, you know, walks do haunt, but I, I think he was able to battle around those and pitch around those. Yeah, he was. So so I, I think that watching him work those six innings and be able to uh, really just get through those those innings and grind through, like that is, that's what you want to see out of your ace. You just lost 
the first two games to the Cardinals, the games that you weren't supposed to lose, games where you were shorthanded, and he comes back and he settles the ship. He writes the, writes the wrongs. He does everything, like you said, everything that you want from an ace, that's what he did today. He settled the Reds. He settled their lineup. Now, of course, you get two good bats back in your lineup, which you know mm-hmm. we'll talk about here in a minute. But he comes in. He's a settling force. And your bullpen is still turning the corner. I mean, Antone pitched well today. Diaz closes it out. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it was a solid pitching performance all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those, you know, and that's really what this team needed just to kind of have that on their back. And I think that that just went such a long way for Hunter. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I think you you mentioned it. That first start post IL stint where he really struggled. Go back like to the end of last year too when he goes on the IL. Mm-hmm. He was very good. Like very, very good. Um, there's still some stuff, obviously, that's a little irritating with movie about him, and that's just because he's 23. I don't even know. What say, anymore. Very young. We're gonna go very yeah. young. I'm sure yeah. someone will tell me in the chat. Uh, but just a guy that you can know, you can count on, and a guy who's gonna continue to learn and get better. Um, and so he's 24. Okay, 24. 24. Yeah. Uh, but just turned 24. This this. Uh, past August 6th. I mean, he's a young 24. Yeah, a very young 24 at that. So that's a great way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. But just really good. Let's talk about the. Let's talk about this real quick. I, I didn't put a slide together for this, but I, I meant to. Will Benson. <laughs> Willie Beeman. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there was a thing that popped up today that said six of his last seven hits were for extra bases. Mm-hmm. He was on one this week. Yes, he was. Yes, and, he was. Dude, I mean, I don't. I know he's not a superstar. Um, he is a problem, as uh, mm-hmm. our good friend yesterday, Jeff Carr, wore the shirt that said, "Will Benson is a problem." Yes, he is. Um, but this is like what you know. That was this is what a stretch where they really have been so fun to watch him play. Uh, he's had to mm-hmm. play multiple outfield positions. You know, through all the weird stuff, you know, with yesterday with Marte getting hurt and the cluster they had there. Nick mm-hmm. Senzel gets moved to third base later in the game, so he's got to go take a spot. Uh, but Will Benson. Yep. Bro. Branch says it here. Will Benson's got his stroke going. That's no lies are told in that statement by by good friend Branch Brown. No. I, here's, <laughs> here's the thing, man. And... and uh, Here's the thing that I I like about Benson. He does this with he does this with like minimal like he doesn't get consistent days playing. Yeah. Like so so when you're not getting consistent days playing, it's hard to find a rhythm. So yeah. he's doing this on spot duty kind of. I mean, the guy's got eight Look at that. He's got an 871 OPS. He's batting 273, dude. He's got 15 home runs. Like he's in the bottom like, of the order. And he's in the bottom of our order. Like, and he's doing it on spot duty. He's not playing every day. Like, people don't understand how hard that is. So for him to come in and be able to hit the ball the way he's hit it these last couple of weeks, um, like it's really hard to do when you're not playing day to day. So yeah. I, I don't, you're gonna have to find some everyday at bats for that kid because he's he is he's got 
a lot of talent. And I don't think we've seen – I mean, we're just now starting to see the top of his potential of where yeah. he could be with every day at bats. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, <clears throat> coming up through the minors when he was in the Cleveland system, like he always struggled mm-hmm. against lefties. And I think this year he doesn't have a whole lot of lefties, uh, left-handed, left-handed hits. But – he is still a guy that I think, yeah, I'm I'm willing at this point to give a chance because without him, you're not where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, you know, he's probably he's going to struggle in those circumstances. There's a reason they went and got Harrison Bader, Hunter Renfro. Yep. Um, I think Harrison Bader's been a little better than the baseball card will show. Uh, I think he's made a lot of contact. It just so happens to be go be a lot of outs in that contact. Um, so I'm going to bat pretty decent this weekend. But, uh, yeah, Sydney makes a great point right here. My favorite thing about him is how where is the strike zone. It's it's like Votto light mm-hmm. when he's like when he sees like a, a breaking ball low and away. He doesn't chase it all that often. Um, if he does chase it, he makes a little he makes some contact. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this was the guy who was supposed to be your ever your starting center fielder. He was your starting center fielder opening day. Went out there in sombrero his first game. Mm-hmm. Got sent down to the minors and figured it out and that's been tremendous uh he's just been awesome and you know we talked about it earlier you know when you're the guy who hits seventh in the lineup no matter if you're on the reds no matter if you're on the braves you're like okay you're, you're one of the easier outs he is not one of the easier outs on this season no, and that's it's pretty not nice at not at all yeah he sydney brings up a great point like his his ball to strike strike zone awareness is really good um especially being like you said being a seventh eight hole hitter um uh, you know if you've ever played baseball you usually are counting on seven eight nine being automatic outs uh, yeah. if you're on the defense and he's he's far from an automatic out um so yeah big ups to him and i, I really like the way that he plays the game uh and i like the way that he uh, attacks every at bat and approaches every at bat for sure I'm going to ask you this before we get to talking about the rest of the offense today. Mm-hmm. Is Nick Martini a dude? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, it's it's hard to say he's not right. I mean, <laughs> right now, it's, yeah, it's hard to say he's not. I mean, he's that guy. He's come in and contributed mightily to our, the success of the back half of the season for sure. I mean, it's hard yeah. to say he's not a dude. So barring, you know, his last seven games, he's only had ni- he's only had 19 plate appearance, 19 at bats. Mm-hmm. But in that time, 263, 300, 526 slugging. Mm-hmm. He's got a homer, he's got four RBI. Uh, let's break it down for a little bit more. So in 52 at bats this year, he's got five tank, four tanks, 13 hits. Three walks. He's got you know ten strikeouts, but everyone mm-hmm. strikes out in baseball now, so I'm not I'm not tripping on. Yeah, that. I was gonna say yeah, it's not. He's slugging five thirty eight. So again, yeah. I ask, is Dick Martini a dude? Yeah, I I think he is, man. I mean, here, here's the thing. Like, I, he's a guy. He comes in and and like he he has come into this lineup and given them a spark. Like he's yeah. giving them a spark. When he gets his opportunities, he doesn't waste his opportunity. He's another guy that does not get as many at bats. I mean, just because of the sheer, you know, our lineup is just loaded, he doesn't get as many as bats as he should or probably could. But uh, whenever he's in there, he produces. He he 
puts the ball, bat on the ball. He's good contact. Like, yeah, I think he's a dude. I mean, the, the unfortunate thing for Martini is that, you know, as far as the future of the Reds, like our lineup is just. Yeah, he probably won't. I can imagine he's I mean, here in 24. Yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine he's going to be here, but I mean, our, our lineup is just stacked. So, but no, I think he's a dude. He's coming and done a great job. Like, once again, you're playing in September, you're in contention for the wild card, and he's a guy that's giving you quality of bats. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, uh, you're starting to see a lot of these, like, um, you're starting to see Ellie kind of hit that wall, right? The rookie wall where mm-hmm. um, he's not doing what he was at the beginning of the year. Strand is kind of kind of hitting a little bit of that wall as well. And that's to be expected with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to have, have a guy like Nick Martini come in and kind of pick those guys up uh, has been really, really nice. Uh, now I'll be it. We'll see what happens in like two weeks when people adjust to him down the, down the stretch of the end of the season. But who knows? Um, let's talk about the offense. So today we got about 10 minutes before Drew comes on. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, funny enough, when I put the thing out, I was like, hey, if anyone has any questions, I'm going to ask Drew. Everything was Texas, 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 Texas. Nothing was like his baseball career. So this could be a quick Q&A. <laughs> Chat, we are counting on you to come up with some very fun questions. <laughs> we are very much counting on you to come up with some very fun questions. Um, so I do also want to mention real quick before we talk about the uh, – India and Joey coming back today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do have Drew tonight, which is something I was really excited about. You have those who have been following along this season. Drew is on the show in April. Um, actually has been back to Great American Ballpark since. He was there for Bronson's uh, Reds Hall of Fame induction. So I'm really excited to kind of get his thoughts about that. Um, we're going to ask him a lot of the stuff I didn't get to ask him the last time. So um, the whole time he was on the show, I didn't ask about the three home run game at Wrigley Field in 2010. Mm-hmm. Always slipped my mind. So finally get to ask him about that. A um, few other things, but we're also excited that we know whatever questions we get from people uh, we're going to ask, but yes, we probably will have to start out with the Texas Longhorns question. Um, but joining us next Sunday night is another guest. I'm really excited about uh, actually one of Drew's teammates was part of the 2010, 20, uh, 2010 Reds um, mm-hmm. is a co-host on the farm to the show podcast with former red Chris Dickerson. Uh, Paul Yanish is going to come hang out with Ben and I next Sunday. Oh, and that's awesome. I sent Super him this text. Excited. I reached out to him and I said, Hey, uh, you know, I'd really like to have you on our show. And he go, he actually sent me like this super nice message of like, thank you so much. Uh, I would really like to come on. Uh, let's see if we can make it work. Here's my number. Shoot me a text. So I texted him and said, Hey, Paul, this is Tim Daniel. And he's like, thanks for reaching out in the note. I hope everything's going well. And I was like, would you want to do the 17th? He's like, I can make that work. I was like, he's very nice. Yeah. He's a very nice person. I mean, he always <laughs> seemed like a very nice person. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Rice University, Rice University uh, I think, assistant baseball coach as well, Mr. Juan. Um, if I if I have those facts right, I'll have to look at his Twitter account again. But uh, really excited for to have these guys back to back. You know, we've talked many of times how much we love the 2010 team here at the Riverfront. Um, so I'm stoked to get him back. Let's talk about Jonathan India. Mm-hmm. So comes back today, goes Yardo, gets a stolen mm-hmm. base today. Um, I've been a big believer in India. I know, you know, obviously it, even with today, it does look like there's a very strong chance that this will be his last go around with the Reds. And yeah, 
it is what it is. We'll have that, you know, we're going to have the conversation forever till decisions made. We're probably having that conversation till July of next year. If he's still, the right. um, but oh, actually our guest is here now, Ben. Oh yeah. Should we do? Oh yeah, absolutely. All righty. Folks hanging out with us again for a second time. Our good friend and yours, former Cincinnati Red Center fielder, Drew Stubbs. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good, man. Thanks for coming back. It's good to see you. Yeah, likewise. I uh, riding high right now for my <laughs> Longhorns win last night, and uh, got the Cowboys dominate. You know, um, so my, my listen, team listen. Are... We don't have to talk about the Cowboys Giants game right now, man. I I'm a <laughs> I I live in Kentucky. I became a Giants fan. Don't ask me why. And. and I, I'm looking at the scores keep popping up, and we we still have zero, so it's not good. It's not good on my end. <laughs> well, I feel like being a Cowboys fan is year over year pretty torturous. So we'll take the wins and the cushions <laughs> when we get them. So. Well, it's so funny because I I put out that you were coming on again, and uh, the thing I was like, I really want to do this Q and A. Have some people ask about you know your time with the team and stuff like that. And every question was about Texas. So, of course, I do have to start. So, obviously, last night, going to Tuscaloosa and uh, do work, as the kids say. Um, so, you're still, I assume you're still very, very excited from, from a night like that? I am. I mean, you know, when I was in school, uh, it truly was, looking back, kind of the golden era of yeah. Texas sports. I mean... You know, we won a championship in baseball, and the following football season was the Vince Young uh, USC National Championship. So uh, basketball, I think, made it to Elite Eight. Um, uh, for sure, one, maybe two times when I was in school, uh, we had a swimming and diving. So, I mean, every sport was was highly competitive and, you know, elite. And uh, really since 2009 in football, when we lost to Alabama, uh, Colt McCoy went down in that Rose Bowl game in the national championship. Yeah. You know, we have been uh, not anywhere close to where we've wanted to be. And, you know, the University of Texas is the biggest brand of college sports. But, um, you know, that question keeps reappearing, like, is Texas back? Is Texas back? And, you know, as bad as our fan base wants it to be, we just haven't quite gotten over that hump when we needed to and won the big game or got the break when we needed. And, you know, we, we finally feel like we've got a roster that is, is talented enough. Um, and you go into a game like that, you know, trying to make a good showing, uh, especially going into the, uh, you belong there. Um, it was a great, great win for the program and, and for our guys. We were at the Reds game last night with uh, so you were in the minors with Carlos Guevara, who while watching the while watching the Reds at GABP had his phone like this throughout the whole Texas game. So he was uh pretty stoked today when I saw when I woke up to all the text messages from him. So, um, yeah, we um, you know, it's been it's been the biggest win probably in the last uh 12 to 15 years of our program. So We'll see if we can build on it and and get to where we're trying to go. 
Yeah, because I think so you mentioned basketball at that time. Was that LaMarcus Aldridge? Was he in school at that time at, at Texas? Yeah, LaMarcus was a year behind me. Um, the My senior year of high school, so right before I showed up, uh, we had TJ Ford, and they went to the, the Final yeah. Four. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, Daniel Gibson, LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, uh, KD was there, which would have been my senior year, um, and I obviously left after – three years to got drafted by the red and so forth. But I went to a lot of games with him and DJ Augustine and, and some of those guys. And man, we had a lot of, a lot of good teams back then. Um, so it's fun to go and watch some of those games. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, I know we had a lot of fun questions we wanted to ask you here today. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed having you on the last time. So it's great to have you back. Um, one thing I really want to touch on. So you came back in town this summer. Um, came in for Bronson's uh, Team Hall of Fame induction. And uh, how was being back in Cincinnati, man? How, I, know, I know he tried to meet up. It didn't work out. But was uh, did you enjoy your time back here? I did. Um, you know, there were a number of guys that were former teammates. Um, got to see and spend some time with Sam LeCure, uh, Daniel Ray Herrera, Jared Burton, um, Chris Heisey, um, and a few others. But uh, – yeah, just seeing some familiar faces, uh, being around the ballpark again. Um, I my, my in-laws live about an hour and a half away in Lexington, so they were able to come over and see my kids. And my father-in-law, actually, the, fir- the Friday we were there, uh, we went and played golf. And it's funny, I was driving back into downtown uh, to go to dinner, and I was telling him, I was just like, man, every time I feel like I've made this drive, coming from a golf course when I was playing for the Reds on an off day back into town, I would get this, this feeling of anxiety that's like, okay, well I had my, you know, 16 hours of freedom. Now, like when do I have to be at the ballpark next or whatever else? And it was the first time that I could like actually relax and not have to worry about being somewhere and and doing something and preparing to play. And so, um, yeah, it was great being around and, and uh, you know, even seeing a lot of the front office people and uh, folks in the media relations department. I went down to the clubhouse, saw some of the clubhouse staff. Uh, it was great. Did you get to see Joey? Yeah, saw Joey uh, on the field during batting practice, talked to him for a little bit. Um, he seems to be in a really good place and having some fun and, and yeah. mentoring a lot of the younger guys. So, um, you know, it's it's been neat to watch him kind of evolve as a person and as a um, kind of role player on the team from being just to head down, I'm going to be the superstar and, and not worry about too much else to like, Hey, I went through an injury. I'm getting older. Um, I've got to kind of uh, embrace some of the guys around me and, and kind of help lift them up and, and show them the ropes a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's kind of where, like I was thinking, like uh, as far as, seeing the transformation from him because we talk about that a lot on our show about how keeping him around is a good thing because of his leadership and his and his you know being able to mentor younger players and do those things and you see that from the outside in how different is the joey from the one you played with to the one you see now uh i think he's quite a bit different and i think um you know, I saw that he was on Chris Dickerson and Paul Yanish's uh, podcast the other day. And, um, you know, he I saw like a 30 second clip of what he was talking about. And 
you know, he mentioned being around guys and learning how to be a good teammate. Um, and, and he specifically said, Paul, I remember you being around and although you were more of a role player uh, and, and utility infielder, um, he's like, you always, not only with me, but other guys uh, made a point to say hello and ask how you're doing. And, you know, I think Paul jokingly said, well, I, I had to be well liked up. Maybe I wouldn't have a spot on the team. Uh, but truthfully, I mean, that's, that's what a lot of us did. We, we cared for each other. Um, you know, Joey just grew up different than a lot of us did. And, um, you know, his, his family dynamics, um, kind of the location in Toronto being in a very urban setting. Um, and I, I think he, for a long time was really searching for, who he was as a person and, you know, how that fit into a ball club. And so, you know, he just had a lot of maturity that was kind of backlog that probably most of us had at a younger uh, point in our lives. And, um, you know, everybody kind of takes form in different ways. And uh, I think now um, he's, he's a lot more comfortable in his own skin and, you know, may not feel like he has to prove anything to anybody or be somebody that he's not. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, too, he's he's kind of on the back end of his career. So he's starting to reflect a little bit and, um, you know, soak this up. I mean, I think it's harder to enjoy playing in the big leagues and doing it at a high level um, when you're out to, you know, protect your livelihood and play for a contract. But, you know, he's done all that stuff now and, and – um, I think more more than anything now, he's trying to, you know, help the young guys and cement his legacy. Well, I think when we talk about that a lot, I think, too, you know, with that point, and we'll move from the topic here, but I think a lot about you guys and how good you guys were and how talented you guys were, um, but still kind of learning how to win. Mm-hmm. So they go get Scott. And, like, I feel like with this team, a lot of people are like, you know, with the salary, with the contract, you know, the fan base kind of thinks they should move on. Do you guys win without Scott Rowland? Do you guys win the Central and go to the playoffs that year? Um, that's a great question. I think in 2010, probably not. Um, you know, I, I actually went, me and Heisey and Jay Bruce went to Cooperstown the weekend after Bronson's induction. Oh, cool. And um, that's the first time I got to go and, you know, I talked to a lot of guys up there. I told Scott this, um, you know, all, all of us. And I think Jay, Chris, and I, and, and many more guys on the team, uh, Scott was not really a uh, rah-rah guy. He wasn't a um, pull you aside and, like, give you a motivational speech kind of thing. But he was more of a guy that that showed up every day, was kind of in the stage of his career that Joey's in now, uh, was still playing at a very high level. Um, you know, he went out on the field and stayed out there for batting practice for all the groups, whereas a lot of the guys would come in and, you know, hit, maybe take a couple ground balls, come in. Uh, they cut out on a lot of stuff. Scott ran on every ground ball. He did all of his early work. He, did, I mean, he, he basically was doing the same thing that he did early in his career. And I think as us young players watching that, we had no excuse to cut corners. Uh, we had no excuse to not run out a pop-up or a weak ground ball or whatever else. Um, he just did everything the right way. He was a pro's pro. And, um, you know, when you've got 
one of your better players who has the hardware that he had. He had a World Series, many gold gloves, all-star appearances. Um, when you see a guy like that doing it and you're a rookie or a second or third year player, like you have to raise your bar because you know that, you know, the coaching staff and that locker room is not going to accept anything less. So he was a very, very, um, you know, essential part of that team, even if he wasn't the one that was, you know, the first to do an interview or to stand up in a team meeting. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, I mean, well, Joey's really stepped out and kind of been more open and entertaining for sure. Uh, so there's that little difference there, but you know, cause I remember like when you guys traded for Jim Edmonds and I remember it was like late in the year and I, I understood it, but I just remember just feeling like a really weird fit. And I'm sure you as a center fielder probably really looked up to Jim Edmonds growing up, but I'm sure that was kind of like a really weird guy to have come in that late. And of course, all the drama that happened afterwards when he talked to the media, but. Yeah. I mean, um, look, I think it's no secret that, that Walt Jockety had a lot of success in St. Louis Yeah, and he loved his core group of guys that he had. And you look at Scott, you look at Jim, you look at Ryan Ludwig, um, you look at Miguel Cairo, like look at all the guys that, that yeah. he brought, brought back um, in and around the red system that were part of his uh, reign in, in St. Louis. Um, and like Jim specifically, when he came over, uh, that was my, that was intense. So my first full year in the league, um, I, I really didn't worry about like losing playing time. Right. Um, he was obviously, you know, come in and pinch hit. Um, I, I'm not even sure that he was physically capable of playing a full game in center field at that point. He had an Achilles issue and some other stuff, but um you know, you talk about different personalities and I think we all kind of expected him to be like Scott was, and he could not be any further from the like polar opposite. He, Jim was more, I love Jim. He was very good to me. He was more flamboyant. Obviously he had the flair for the big play. Yeah. Um, you know, had a fantastic career. But he definitely took me under his wing. And I, I asked him a lot of questions about, you know, early work in batting practice, positioning, um, kind of instinctual things out there. And then off the field, you know, him just taking me to dinner when we'd go on the road and so forth. So, um, you know, it, it takes all kinds. And, and Jim and Scott were, were very, very different when it came to their their day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, um... So I know like a lot of some of the questions I got when people were kind of talking about when you guys were in town for Bronson and stuff, this current team, and I know you just gets compared a lot to you guys when you guys are coming up. Um, what I thought was really kind of interesting about when you guys were coming up. So you come up in nine, Joey comes up in seven, Jay comes in eight, Johnny comes up in eight. So yeah, you guys were all very young and learning how to win together, but it was like a year here, a year here, a year here. This group all came up like within two months of each other um you know you came up you got to watch a few games do you kind of see those comparisons those similarities between your young group and this young group uh i think so um although you know and then in 10 you think about you know uh shortly thereafter frazier and cozard and mezzarocco yeah. and heisey and so many other guys chapman um, yeah mike leak um and chapman um you know, I think up until 10, so let's just say starting like the end of 07 when Joey came up, 
uh, 08 with Cueto and, and Bruce and, and some of the other guys. Um, and then, you know, nine, my year, we, the team wasn't competitive any of those years. Right. And then 10 was really the time where everybody had been there for a minute and we, we got good all of a sudden. And I think this team, although they all kind of coalesced at the same time and, and came into the league, like nobody expected anything this year, I don't think. Um, and all of a sudden they're just going out and setting the world on fire and playing great baseball. And, and it's like, wow, here, here we are right in, in the race. So I, I think it is similar in the sense that, um, you know, although it has been compressed in the, in the time window, um, you know, you're, you're really not competitive and you're not a factor until you are, and they yeah. just happen to be there this year. And I think, um, you know, going into next year, this this season will be a great learning experience from them. Um, hopefully they'll all be back and be healthy and then add a piece or two here or there. And, um, you know, maybe maybe have a team uh, like we did in 10 because everybody's kind of knows where you're at, what your role is, what's going on, and, and um, ready to take it to the next level. So you saw Ellie De La Cruz play. Obviously, very well known for being a speedster. You once stole 40 bases in a season in the big leagues. Do you think in your prime, if you guys sprinted against each other, you got a shot? I think you do. I think you could be. I have a shot. I'll tell you what. So I've got a younger brother who's three years behind me. Um, very fast. He was a, you know, sprint champion uh, in Texas. I'm in the state of Texas, played college baseball. Um hit from the left side. So, I mean, I don't know that it's accurate, you know, all this kind of stuff, but yeah. people would always compare us like oh, who's faster, who's faster. And I, I will say this, Ellie data Cruz is a very, very fast young man. And I'm not saying that I could beat him, but, but my answer to all this is <laughs> I've never physically lost a race to that person. So I'll take my chances on me. <laughs> I still tell my brother this to, to this day. I'm like, I don't care what time you're in. You never beat me head to head. So there you go. Yeah. I was just trying to think, cause you obviously you were traded for Billy Hamilton to get time, but you were in the minor. Like when you were in the system, Billy was in spring training with you guys. Did you ever have to do sprinting against him? Not head to head. I don't think um, he, he was never, I don't think in big league camp. Okay. So like he would come over maybe for a game here or there, but he was never like in the day to day mix with, with all of us while I was there. Um, if I remember correctly. So uh, again, like super fast. Um, yeah. Don't know that I could have, you know, actually hung with him, but I, uh, I mean, it's all looking in the rearview mirror now. So <laughs> yeah. <Sure. laughs> yeah. Um, so some of the questions we got, I want to get to, um, one of them wasn't necessarily a question, but it was one of our regular listeners, Joey Kaditsa. He's from Toronto, um, but hates the Blue Jays. He's a diehard Reds fan. So he wanted to say was to tell you that your inside the park home run against him at Great American Ballpark was one of his most favorite moments as a Reds fan because he got to shove it in the, in the Blue Jays fans' faces. So mm -hmm. I just want to make sure we got that in there for him. He's a loyal listener. So yeah, I, I mean, that was my only inside the parker in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, it started as a, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Jojo Reyes, left-handed pitcher, uh, high fly ball to deep right center that 
I mean, I barreled it, but I knew I missed it. So I was like, it's not going out of here. So I go into my like kind of cruise trot, like it's going to be caught on or near the warning track. Um, I'm, I'm like just getting around first base and it was Batista and right. And maybe, uh, Corey Patterson in center mm-hmm. and they converge and like right at the last minute, they both like ease up because they think each other's going to catch it. And it either hits off one of their legs or the wall and it like shoots towards center field and then, you know, turn on the jets at that point and, uh, make it all the way around. I didn't even have to slide at home, but. Um, it's one of those that you think you're out and then all of a sudden you're not. And, uh, you really got to go at that point. <laughs> I remember that series pretty well. I think Miguel Cairo had a grand slam in that series in the Sunday game. Um, it was, that was a pretty fun one. You know, that was, that was great. Um, the last time I had you on, I didn't ask you about this and I should have, but your three home run game at Wrigley in 2010. Yeah. When you went up for the third one, did you know? Like, were you, after hitting the two, were you like, I, I got this again? No, not really. Because um, I hit one my first at bat. And then my second and third at bats, I think I flew out. Maybe flew out to right field or grounded out. I was one for three. And then the game it stretched out where it was, you know, we had a four or five or so run lead. And then I hit a second home run in like the sixth or so inning, seventh inning, maybe. And, you know, I, I didn't even know if honestly I would get another at bat. <clears throat> and by the time I did, I think it was in the eighth or ninth. And, um, you know, we, we had a double digit run lead, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like, man, I've got two homers for the day. We're going to win comfortably. It's, yeah. it's a great day. And uh, Andrew Kashner, who was a rookie, who's now – he's a good buddy of mine now, comes in. I mean, he was – before everybody threw 97, you know, he threw really hard. And uh, I remember he just kind of spun a little first pitch. I don't remember his first pitch, but he spun a little slider in there that just kind of backed up and stayed in the middle of the plate. And, I mean, I hit it, and it was like – way out on the Wayland Avenue. And I was just like, man, this is, this is surreal right here. Um, and the cool thing about it, I mean, easy one to remember for me, July 4th, 2010. So the holiday yeah. and my parents happened to be at that game. So no kidding. Uh, oh, that's very, awesome. very special moment. And uh, I think we, we got on the bus, went to the airport and flew to New York to play the Mets the next day. But uh, so it was, Short-lived celebration, much like, you know, every day in the big leagues. <laughs> but uh, and then it was on to the next one. So I had a th- couple here in the chat I wanted to get to. Uh, Sydney Price, one of our good friends, she asked, um, did you see the trade coming when you were moved to Cleveland in 2012? And was there any hard feelings at the time? I did not see it. Cut. Well, let me backtrack. Um, you know, that it was in – it was like December the – 10th plus or minus it was the first or second week in December, right around the winter meetings, maybe just after um, I was going into my arbitration year. So knew that we were going to, you know, I was due for a little salary increase um, and some negotiations and i had had a down year the year before. So um, still had value, I think by what I did, but offensively didn't have a great year. And um, 
it, it literally materialized. Like my agent and I would talk, you know, every other day or so at that point. And, um, you know, really the only thing that you would have to keep a pulse on what was going on uh, in the off season was the uh, MLB trade rumors website. And, you know, some of the things that would pop up on there were complete like hearsay rumors, Yeah. And, you know, rumors at best. I don't know where they could have started, but something had popped up early that day that um, there was chatter between, you know, the Indians and Reds and uh, maybe the Diamondbacks or, and then normally if it flares up once, like it could be nothing and it'll pass, but there was a couple like circle backs from it throughout the day. And I remember um, like calling my agent and being like, Hey, like, have you heard anything about this? He goes, no, but like, it's not normal for it to have this much traction. And I remember I was at dinner um, and I get a call from Walt Jockety and I get up from the table and walk out and he goes, Hey Drew, you know, it's Walt. Um, I just want to let you know that, you know, we've just made a, a big trade. It's involving three teams um, sending you to the, the Indians and here's the players that are involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was just like, you know, thank you for all that you did for this organization. Um, you know, we feel like we're, we're close, but we're going to make a few tweaks to our roster to try to get us over that hump. And this gave us the best chance to do it, to win right now. And he's like, you know, wish you the best. And I mean, honestly, that felt like the first time you get broken up by a girl. Sure. Um, because, you know, you have these, well, one, you, I mean, you, we just talked about it, all the guys that um, you knew nothing else but playing with them in that organization, wearing that uniform, you have ambitions of playing your whole career there. Um, and then, you know, it's like the rug gets pulled out from under and you got to start with a new culture, a new team, uh, a new group of teammates. And man, it was, it was tough. And I, I didn't, I, I don't think I had ill will toward the Reds. I was a little bitter that, you know, they weren't giving me a chance to keep going what we had just, you know, in 10 and then 12, I really, really thought we had a chance to win the world series that year. Yeah, I was going to be exiting that team. Um, but, you know, you, you learn real quick that it's a business and um, went on to Cleveland and, and uh, you know, that was that. But, uh, yeah, it's you go through your career and then looking back is, is your best chance to kind of reflect on what happened and and to uh, truly evaluate it. And I mean, I get it. You know, they have to make tough decisions all the time and but it did materialize pretty quick. It really did. This is literally a joke, so I'm just taking this for satirical reasons. But when you were traded, Billy Hamilton came up and wore number six. Yeah. Were you up? Were you mad about that? Because there was no. a whole joke. Does that thing, Brandon? Did you hear about this? No. So when they traded Brandon to Atlanta, Scooter Jeanette, they signed Scooter Jeanette, and Scooter Jeanette wears four. And apparently, like he like talks to the media, and he's like, "I feel like they really disrespected me giving my number to somebody else." Brandon was very outspoken with the media. Uh, <laughs> if, if it wasn't evidenced by the altercation with the Cardinals that he incited himself. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, if I would have gone to Cleveland and um, I think somebody was either Lou Marson maybe had number six. And yeah, you know, if, if I would have asked for it and stepped like. No, it, a number's a number for me, and, um, you know, 
once you're gone from a team, unless you're like a Derek Jeter type where you've worn that number um, for yeah. 15 or 20 years. Like, mm. you know, may, maybe when, when Joey retires in a year or two and, uh, you know, probably don't want to give his number away right away. N- not to say that nobody will ever wear it again, but um, I think that's a little bit of a stretch to feel disrespected. So I know, I know. I just it's always given me a laugh because then he like when the Braves moved him to the Angels, it was like he was only in Atlanta for half a season. Like it was one of those things. And I'm not here to talk bad about Brandon. It's not my intent. He's just a guy that you can always get a laugh at when you look back at some of the things he did. Um, he said getting oh, yeah. traded from the Braves to the Angels was harder than being traded from the Reds. And I get he's from Atlanta, but also I was like, come on, man, let's let's be realistic here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I, I think he was just a very emotional um, person in a sense that, you know, you get asked that kind of question shortly after it's happened and it's still fresh and, um, you know, you you wear your emotions on your sleeve sometimes and you say some things that may or may not be accurate, uh, even the way you feel about it. So uh, I think all of us can take things with a grain of salt that people say from time to time. Do we lose town? Maybe so. <laughs> oh, he's. Let's see here. Yeah, we might have lost him. Oh. So, so Drew, I got. I have. I do have a couple questions uh, while we wait for Tim to. Um, how how involved are you currently um, in? In baseball, do you get a chance to watch a whole lot of games? I mean, I know that you have a family, and do you do you watch a whole lot of baseball still? Or are you still involved in the current product? Uh, not not really. And um, I think uh, this year, you know, coming back to Cincinnati, going to Cooperstown, um, I probably watched more games and kept up with what's going on more this year than the five or so years that uh, have been, you know, since I've been out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have watched every postseason and bits and pieces and most of the World Series games and so forth. But, um, you know, it's it's not that I have any animosity toward the game, but mm-hmm. I just think that, uh, I mean, some guys continue to keep up with it pretty closely, especially if they're going to stay in it and maybe – coach or scout or, or have a, you know, media outlet or whatever else. But for me, I think when you're eating and sleeping and breathing it every day and um, you go in the clubhouse and you're, you're not only playing a game, but every TV in the clubhouse has a baseball game on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just like kind of you're, you've had enough for a little bit. And um, I think as time passes, I mean, I, I saw it this year, um, getting some interest and and seeing some new faces with the reds and keeping up with some stuff. Uh, You know, I've got a son that turned three yesterday. So uh, as he gets older, if he has a, takes a liking to baseball, you know, I could see myself kind of diving back in, but for the, for the moment, um, not, not that involved. Okay, cool. So you've got a son that's three. That's, that's um, he's, he's, 
has he shown any inkling to want to swing a bat? Has he shown any want to take ground balls? I mean, I know you you've already said you probably won't push him towards that. Whatever he wants to do, he, he's gonna do. But has he shown any inkling any inkling in that at all? Uh, not. I mean, a little bit, but not not too much. Um, I've also got a daughter that's five, and she's in kindergarten this year. So, oh yeah, um, we've uh, we've kind of done some youth soccer stuff. I mean, she's done dance. Um, you know, I feel like maybe it's their personality where, mm-hmm. you know, if it's, if it's a golf or, you know, hitting off a baseball tee or whatever else, like they'll, they'll want to do it for about five minutes and then yep. they're to something else. So, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see what becomes of that. But, um, you know, I, I just want to give them every opportunity to, you know, whether it's music or sports or whatever mm-hmm. else, like here it all is. Tell me what you want to do. And yeah, for me, man. you know, that's kind of what my parents did. And I played a lot of different things until I graduated high school and baseball was always my favorite and what I hope to continue to do. And it, and it worked out, but I know that's not the case for everybody. So that's awesome. Well, sorry about that. My wife knocked the internet out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's gonna be very mad that she says I said that, but I was gonna say, yeah, she you know she's gonna gonna hear that. You know that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, get a couple here. So did you ask the Mr. Juan question yet? Um, no, I did not. I actually we were just talking about family and kids and stuff like that. That's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that I have one, I'm like, I, I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, so we had here from Mr. Juan. He said, what was draft day like? Did you know it was the Reds all the way or were there other teams that were possibilities? Um, so obviously the draft has kind of moved around. Um, in 2006, um, I had just ended my – well, I mean, didn't know it was going to be over, but was pretty sure just ended my college career at Texas. Uh, we lost to Stanford uh, in the regional – um, in Austin, which was very, very disappointing, you know, playing in the finals the previous two years at Omaha. Um, it's kind of like we expected nothing less than to be back there, um, came up short and lost. And so um, I remember the draft, I think it was on a Monday, um, and my parents had gone back home, gone to work, and uh, I was at my uh, – my house that I was living in for college, I had three other roommates and uh, two of their parents uh, were there with us. So we were all just kind of huddled up. Um, I knew about the time the draft started that the Reds who had the eighth pick it called my agent. And I think that, you know, they didn't know the exact order going up, but we were pretty sure that uh, the seven teams leading up to the Reds, had kind of zeroed in on somebody other than me. Um, And so they called and said, you know, Hey, you know, slot was whatever it was. And they, they kind of said, Hey, would you do a a pre-draft deal? Like agree to a number less than slot. And, you know, knowing that like the Orioles, I think had the next pick and the Rangers were two picks behind that or three picks behind that. So we're like, okay, well, if they're offering this, like we feel like we could go a pick later or three picks later and get the same amount of money they're offering, which would be more in line with slot. And so we said, you know, no, we're not taking that. 
And um, they said, well, would you counter? I think we countered, which was kind of in the middle of where the slot was from the year before and what they came in at. And they said, okay, we would do that. And so it was basically agreed upon, like right as the draft was starting, that if I was there at eight, they were going to take me, already knew the number, all that kind of stuff. So um, that's really when I knew. And and obviously you're still kind of like holding your breath until the pick is called out. But um, it was a little anticlimactic uh, when, when my name actually got called. But I'll take it. It was better than sitting there and white knuckling it. Because you were – before you went to Texas, you were drafted, right? But you decided to go to school? Yeah, I was drafted in the third round by the Astros. And, again, you know, we we got together as a family. And, and uh, I, I basically said, well, I, I need a million dollars to sign or I'm going to go to school. And I'm not taking a, a dollar less than that. Like, I want to go to school. If I get that amount of money, like, that'll change my life and I need to do it. But um, – yeah, they, they kind of went back and forth. And since I was a dual sport recruited athlete, they could like, you know, spread the money out over a little bit of time, which could help their bottom line, I guess. And um, I mean, it, it drug on for a few weeks and we're kind of like looking around wondering what's going on. And what I was told was um, Drayton McLean, who owned the team at the time, eventually stepped in and said, look, we, we can't pay a third round pick a little bit more than I think the slot was like 450 or so for that pick. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, we we can't pay that much over the slot. So they offered me more in line with that. And I told them, well, you know, thanks, but no thanks. This, this just made my decision easier and I'm, I'm going to school. So, um, but I say it all the time. I mean, if, if things wouldn't have worked out the way they did, I mean, got to be a part of a national championship team, uh, got a great degree, um, you know, I wouldn't be living in Austin here today had it not been for school. And then, you know, the bonds and the friendships you make while you're there, you know, I wouldn't yeah. trade those for anything. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is kind of one we got from David Barron and this is one I was kind of top on it. He asked, what was better hitting a Homer or a great defensive play? I think it depends on the situation. Um, I, for instance, like in the College World Series when we won in 05, um, in the semifinal game against Baylor, I uh, in the, I think it was the eighth inning. Uh, it was a tie game, and I, I came in and, and made a diving catch, uh, and Reed Breeze, who is Drew Breeze's younger brother, was playing for Baylor, and there was one out. He thought the ball was going to, you know, lob into center field, and he basically broke from second after taking a few shuffle steps, thinking that he was going to try to score. And I dive and catch it and double him off a second base, inning over. You know, we end up hitting a walk-off home run an inning later to win the game. So, like, that in my mind situationally uh, was probably the best defensive play I've ever made, which was really cool. But, you know, on an even playing field, I would say hitting a home run probably trumps that, for me at least. I was going to ask, because as a speedster, as a guy, I know you did the, both of these. What was more fun? Your multi-home run games or multi-stolen base games? Uh, I would say home runs just because the multi-stolen base came around a lot more than the multi-home run games. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> uh, I would probably 
cherish those a little bit more, but both great. What was that like when you're the fast guy on first base? Like, and you know that that pitcher is like their whole scouting report is do not let him get the second, whatever you do. Like for you with, was that like fun for you? Like knowing you could kind of play with pitchers like that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think you're seeing it's great for the game, but the, the rules that are enacted this year. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to be, you know, a young 20 something year old uh, with fresh legs out there, just pick over a couple of times and then you can just hit the green light. But, you know, more than anything, uh, I, it was I competed with myself and I was just like, man, if this pitcher is not below a if he's a 1.3 second or or higher to the plate i don't care who's back there like they're not throwing me out and you know billy hatcher and i would kind of you know work on things uh pre-game we would we would work on uh, strategy in game we would look for little kind of nuances and, and things that the pitcher would do you know if he would like you know do stuff with his feet when he was going home or picking over vice versa um, but the biggest thing was once you were a known threat and everybody in the stadium knew that you were looking to run, uh, you know, I think the guys at the plate, you know, when I was hitting in front of Joey or, um, uh, whoever it was like, they were licking their chops because they were more likely to make a mistake because they're, they're worried about keeping me close to the base. Um, and they're, they're slide stepping and trying to rush their delivery to the plate and it creates more mistakes for them a lot of times. Yeah, because I think about like, uh, you know, I went to quite a few games. That's where you had those games. It was always fun. Like, you know, when the, the ballpark, the like the atmosphere picked up when you would be in scoring position. Um, so that was always something that kind of was remembered. This one's going to be someone asked me to ask you this. What do you remember about the 18 inning game in Philadelphia? Oh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wilson Valdez got the win for the Phillies, the second baseman that started that day. Yeah. Yeah, he ended up being a Reds teammate for a year, I think. In yeah, he did. 2012. Um, I forgot. Yeah, I don't I don't remember a whole lot about that one. <laughs> that was... But, I mean, 18 innings is more like the war of attrition at that point. So, uh, yeah. last man standing usually wins. Halliday started that game for them. I remember that. And I think you guys chased him in like the sixth. Little did we know that would be 12 innings later. But yes. that was kind of funny. Um, all right. Well, we got a few in here. We'll get these quick for we and we'll let you get back to hanging out with your loved ones. But these were some fun ones here. Um, when you were playing in center field, who was your most favorite pitcher to see you toe the mound? Because, you know, you get some times there where you're sitting there and you got a lot, you got some downtime. Who was the most fun pitcher to watch kind of pitch from center field on a day to day basis? I'll give you two answers. Um, my job is really easy when like Cueto is rolling mm -hmm. because especially in a lineup full of right-handed hitters, he would be buzzing those little two seamers and, and it'd be just like, you know, weak ground ball to short or third base after weak ground ball. And I could just stand back there and just like watch him work and carve him up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dusty would always say, uh, when Bronson would be on the mound, he would have a feeling about, like, Hey man, like we'd go on the road somewhere. He's like, Hey, I need you to get a good night dress. Bronson's pitching tomorrow. And like, obviously Bronson largely pitched to contact and a lot of fly balls, flipping the curveballs in and stuff. So um, he was always fun to play behind because you usually did get a lot of fly ball action, 
Um, and just the way the artistry that he pitched with, you know, with the different arm slots and the different speeds and spins and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that was fun to, to be behind. Yeah. I remember uh, Cueto was always a blast. Chapman had to be interesting to pitch behind because he struck everybody out too, I assume. So, yeah. Um, you know, like the, the best thing about Cueto was that he worked like you, you look at him and, and Volquez, right? I mean, yeah, they kind of get lumped together because they had similar pitching styles, um, similar stuff, but as a defender, they were night and day to be behind. Like Volquez always threw a lot of pitches. He worked kind of slow. Um, he would work deep counts and Johnny would just get the ball and go and he would fill up the strike zone and here it is, hit it kind of thing. And man, it, when you got somebody leak was that leak worked really fast and efficient. And it's like, even if you're giving up hits or homers or whatever else, like when you can stay on your toes and, and know that the guy is trying to attack the strike zone and working fast, it keeps the defense in a, in a better rhythm. So those guys were always a lot of fun to, to be behind. Wow. Um, coolest uniform in the pros between your minors and major leagues. Cause you know, best, you know, the best hat you got to wear in that time frame. Hmm. Would this be like a novelty hat or just like a day to day? Uh, it could be whatever you want. It was oh. cool when you guys wore the 2011s in that Philly series and they wore the 1990 jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. Those were cool. Um, I guess we had a similar like hat to what we wore True. day to day. Um, Man, that's a tough one. It was kind of before, you know, now they're they're doing the specialty stuff much yeah. more often. Um I remember I think that same series you're talking about where we wore the 90s stuff. Uh, we played the Pirates and they they wore the old, you know, black hat that had the yeah. yellow rings around it. So those were kind of I, I didn't wear it, but it's pretty cool to play against. So Yeah. Um Well, you played for the Isotopes, right? Yeah. Those hats were sweet. Yep. And I had my, I mean, I was there maybe three weeks or so. And uh, yeah, they got the little like physics atoms flying around or whatever. So um, interesting stuff you see in, in the minor leagues over time. <laughs> yeah. That's always kind of makes me laugh. Like the bats do a lot of like Avengers night and all like everyone like dressed like their jerseys like Captain America. Yeah. I think that stuff. So. Yeah. Especially yeah, the lookouts were kind of cool. I mean, when I was in yeah. Delta, you know, the, the two eyes that are in the middle of the sea, mm -hmm. uh, like that one. Did you hear they're getting a new stadium finally? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin lives down there. He actually sent me a hat. I wore it on the show not too long ago. Um, I was at the, I was in Louisville this summer. I went to a bats game. I was, I was actually covering the game and I saw they had, they still had you up on like their banner of previous players. Like I in the suites area. It was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, uh, had some good memories in Louisville. Um, I guess you were there like all, two weeks. Yeah. No, what's that? You were there like two weeks. Two weeks in 08, and I spent most of the year in 09 there. So, oh, did you? Yeah. So I got called up in August to Cincinnati. So I played most of the 09 season in AAA with the Bats. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, so I thought you were there a short time. Um, what's the other one? So we had a couple here. Favorite memory as a member of the Reds? Um, a snapshot was the Jay Bruce walk-off home run to clinch the division in 2010. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, would someone 
when you guys were smoking cigars and someone called the authorities on you guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a lot of wild stuff going on that night. Um, but you know, just first time any of us had ever been in that position to win a division, first time in what 15 or so years of the Reds had won, and to kind of cap it off in that fashion was uh, you know, 2012, I think we kind of boat raced the division and, and won on a Chapman strikeout or something that was like, mm -hmm. oh, great, you know, let's go celebrate. But, um, yeah, that was, that was a great night. Mr. Juan asked, the craziest thing you saw Adam Dunn do? Well, uh, I actually didn't get to play with Dunn. We were in spring training uh, together a little bit. And then by the time I got up, you know, he was out of there. So, I uh, actually spent more time with with Dunner uh, off the field, you know, in in the offseason, you know, since he's lives in Houston, um, and he'll come into Austin for a Texas football game here or there because of his background too. Um, I've heard a lot of stories, but didn't get to witness a whole lot of them myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this is a actual on uh, baseball related question from Scott. With today's technology. Do you feel MLB should restructure how balls or strikes are called indoor challenged? You know, it's, it's a hard question because we, we have all this incredible technology that can get so precise with everything. And, you know, as you watch NFL and college football, like the, these balls that are hitting the ground that for years and years and years are a catch or not a catch. And then, they can zero it in and, and reverse it. And in baseball, you know, the tags where, you know, if a guy beats the throw, even if he gets off the bag or whatever else, he's safe. And it's just so microscopic with how dialed in they can get to the footage of everything. Um, at some point you're like, okay, well, do we want this to be baseball as we know it with the human element of human error and calling balls and strikes? Or do you want to have a, digitized strike zone tailored to every hitter, whether you're Jose Altuve or Aaron judge um, and, and do it that way. You know, it's in my opinion, it's something to where like you have to decide what's most important to use the, the technology with, and then the rest of it, just leave it alone and chalk it up to like baseball is a game of imperfection and human error. Uh, as long as it's not blatant human error. And um, that's kind of what keeps the, the nuance of the game, what it is. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how things progress as we move on, you know, these next five, 10 years in the game. The last question we have here before we wrap up this drill, what was cooler first time seeing yourself on a baseball card or first time seeing yourself in a video game? I think a video game. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, I'm not really, I haven't been gaming for a number of years now, but growing up, you know, playing Ken Griffey's baseball on Super Nintendo and then getting into the PlayStation game where, you know, you're playing a lot of MLB The Show or whatever else. Like, I remember the first time that that uh, I populated on that thing. I was just like, wow, this is – I've made it. I've made it now. Uh, so that's, that's my answer. Did they scan you guys for that? Because – Tattoos were ne are never in the game, but the facial, the faces always look really good. Yeah. It, we didn't do like the, um, you know, I, I remember the Tiger Woods golf game back then. They would have the little nodes all over, like the body yeah. suit, you know, and you you're, take your movements. But 
we didn't do any of that stuff. Like they might've in spring training when we did kind of our, our media headshot days and all that kind of thing, they might've, you know, gotten some of that facial recognition through that. But um, I don't really remember to be honest. Nice. But, Perfect. Well, yeah, they were pretty good uh, for a while there. Yeah. You also raked in that game. Like I was, I was hit really well with you in that game. So I appreciate all the times I beat my friends because of Drew Stubbs. So glad I could help. Yeah. <laughs> well, Drew, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. We're going to go and wrap up this week's edition of late night reds. Thank you all so much for hanging out with Ben and I have a good night and we'll see you all next week with, uh, thank you, Drew. Drew's former teammate, Paul Yanish. It's coming. To all right. Next week. Thanks guys. Enjoyed it. Take it easy, everybody.